Hi everyone, welcome to the third episode of Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How Do You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. Today we are so lucky to be joined by Sydney Montgomery who is founder of S Montgomery Admissions Consulting. It's a consulting company which was born out of a desire to increase access to college and law school counselling resources for students of all socio-economic and racial backgrounds. Lovely to meet you, Sydney. How about we start with an introduction? Hi, yes, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. As you said, I am the founder of S Montgomery Admissions Consulting, where I provide personalized college counseling and law school admissions advice. As um, the daughter of military parents and a Jamaican mother, education was so important to me. And as the first lawyer in my family and a graduate of Princeton and Harvard Law School, I am passionate about helping other students break down generational barriers, believe in themselves, step confidently into their future, and more importantly, create communities for life. I'm excited that I have been consulting since 2012. And since then, we've helped well over 80 to 100 students on their higher education goals. Wow, that's really amazing. Um, so I guess you can start with what inspired you to join the law school and college admissions industry? Yeah, so I always like to say that I fell into consulting accidentally. When I was looking at colleges, my parents didn't really know how to help me as best as they would like because they didn't go traditionally from high school to college. They both went to the military first. And so I had teachers that really helped me and really pushed me but i still basically based my college lists off of gilmore girls so i had this uh, notion that connecticut would be just a fantastic place to go and so i applied to yale and to yukon and to wesleyan and i applied to princeton because new jersey is near connecticut and a couple other schools that my principal and teachers added and it's really a blessing and a miracle that i was able to get into princeton and be one of the first students from my high school to go to an ivy league and that process really taught me a lot. I was also able to advocate for myself and appeal my financial aid award and get more money so that we could afford to go to Princeton. But Princeton was the most affordable school that I got into. And everyone told me, oh, you'll never be able to afford it. Uh, they only take you know, students from certain kinds of high schools or you, know, you have to have a 4.0. And I just realized there was so much misinformation. So I dedicated myself the next year to giving talks at my school and at the dance studios and at my church about um, the college application process. For me, undermatching is a really large issue. Undermatching is when especially minority students don't apply to schools that they could out of fear that they can't get in or they can't afford it or they can't go or whatever. And they end up at schools that are below their academic potential. And so it's really important to me that I'm encouraging students to achieve and reach their academic potential. It doesn't have to be an Ivy League school, but wherever school it is, and so, you know, I just kept consulting all through college. And then for law school, I had a pre-law advisor that was fantastic. And she helped me uh, get into Harvard Law School straight from undergrad. But then my first year in law school, uh, there was a falling out. And so Princeton actually didn't have a pre-law counselor for a little bit of time. And so I kind of stepped in and started helping a lot of uh, my friends, black and brown students at Princeton through the process when I kind of took a step back in law school and took stock of where I was and the benefits and the privileges that I had and just the doors that were opened, it really enforced for me 
the power of higher education and the power of the admissions process. And so that's how I started looking at it more as a profession. I ended up, you know, continuing my path. I wanted to be a child advocate. So I clicked for a judge on a family rotation and I did practice family law for a bit. But during that time, I also got my graduate certificate in independent educational consulting from UC Irvine. And I joined professional organizations such as the National Association for College Admission Counseling and the Independent Educational Consultants Association. And it was around that time that I really started to realize that the impact that I really wanted to make in the world, I was making with these students and I was making with these young adults or even second career adults on their law school dreams. And so last year I made the decision to pivot from practicing to education consulting full time. And it was the best decision that I've ever made. This absolutely is a gift. It's a blessing of a job. I love it. I love knowing that I'm impacting so many futures and they're gonna go out and impact their communities and make differences and change their own generational wealth for their families. That's really amazing to hear. And I think it's so important to sort of give back to the community that you came from and lift others around you of the same age or even younger. It's so important. I'm, I love learning from my students. They inspire me every day. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. So what would you say were the best resources that have helped you along the way? I think that the best resources were actually found in the professional organizations. I know that a lot of times when you think about the startup culture, everyone just kind of decides, okay, I'm going to take my side hustle and I'm going to make it a, a full job. I um, mean, we kind of do it on our own. And I think the best decision that I made was getting professionally trained, going to UCI, or well, I did it virtually, but you know, getting that knowledge, being around cohort of uh, colleagues and classmates that I'm still friends with, getting in touch with the professional organizations because they've allowed me to learn directly from colleges, interface with them, go to conferences, um, just continue to learn. I think it's so important in whatever craft you're in or whatever industry you're in that you're continuing to improve yourself and continuing to do professional development. And that I think has made a tremendous difference in my practice. I'm not just telling people, oh, I did these things so I can help you. It's like, yeah, I have experience, but no, I actually have spoken to colleges and I, I have this background, I have this training that makes me an ethical and uh, quality consultant. That's really good to hear. And I know you mentioned that you recently switched full time to the consulting industry, but are there any lessons that you wish you would have learned before starting in this industry? Um, yeah, so I was part time, right, since 2012. And I think there are definitely a lot of lessons that I learned really around boundaries. I am a giver. It's like who I am as a person. And when I only had a few clients, um, it was a little bit easier to manage. I didn't have such strict uh, kind of rules. I'm like, okay, this package has this many hours or, um, you know, don't contact me after this time. I was just kind of there and available. And I think it's good to be there and available. But this past year of growth, I, I really scaled my business kind of like quadrupled. And I learned that there are reasons why boundaries exist because they're not just to protect yourself, but I think it's also to um, to best help your clients interact with you. I think you have to teach people how to interact with you and how to treat you and how to treat the process. And I think the more that I also establish myself as 
you know, a professional and a, and a business that has hours and that has boundaries, then I think the more people took the process seriously on their end and realized, okay, these deadlines are here for a reason and I need to show up prepared for Sydney so that I can get into the best schools possible so that I can get the most out of the money and packages. So I got my own phone, a work phone, and I uh, started just having a little bit more boundaries. And that is definitely something that 2020 taught me. Mm, for sure. I think, yeah, scaling up is a very difficult job. But once you've got the hang of it, it definitely works out well. <laughs> I'm still scaling. So I'm, I'm still always learning, but I'm excited about all the new students that I'm able to help. Yeah, because it's nice to see a company that you've sort of built on your own, like just get bigger and bigger and just watch it progress. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess more of a general question. Um, throughout your life, have you had any, well, what's your biggest failure, I would say, and what did you learn from it? Whew. Uh, throughout my entire life, I mean, I, I failed. I often used to joke around and say that Princeton teaches you how to fail and fail often. Um, so there were definitely a lot of failures there. I would say that, um, one of the things that I think I'm still continually learning and improving is to not put so much stock in outside, um, or external validation. Mm -hmm. For me, I think that, and it's not, it is related to business, but it's not right. Like I'm a dancer and I, I love dancing, but I'm, you know, not a professional dancer. I, I didn't, you know, dedicate that time to it. But when I was entering college, which is like almost 10 years ago, for me, that was my identity. And then when I got to Princeton, um, it's very competitive social scenes, very competitive dance scene. The arts are really great. Um, but that also means that you have, you know, people who actually were at a professional level going in. And I really struggled year after year. I did dance. I was in a few dance companies that I loved, but I, I really struggled because I wasn't in the big named dance companies. I couldn't get into those. And I just kind of felt like if, if I couldn't get into those, then how can I call myself a dancer? How can I have that as my identity if it wasn't externally validated by membership in this club? And I think that really took a toll on me. Um, and you know, when you're also a black dancer, there's there's so much that the world will tell you about um, not fitting in or not looking right or not being good. I know that when I went to Boston, I also joined dance companies there and similarly experienced um, some discrimination in that area. And it took me a really long time to realize that I don't need someone else to label me as a good dancer or as a good person or a good businesswoman, that I can label myself that. And that if I continue to hold myself up to society standards, especially as a black woman, there are certain areas that society is really not gonna validate for you. And so I had to really learn, okay, I'm looking for validation in this place that was specifically designed to exclude me. This is damaging. How can I look inward and validate myself so that it doesn't matter what they say? I know that I'm capable and I'm worthy of whatever identity and label I'm giving myself. For sure. And I think that also applies to just everywhere in life. You know, you don't need to seek validation from people. Just be yourself and be confident in yourself. Yeah. And I haven't gotten it all the way mastered. It's always a work in progress. I think it's easy to say, oh, I don't care what other people think. Right. Um, it's difficult. It's something that I'm working on. But I just keep reminding myself of that um and you know every day you get a little better at it 
Oh, definitely. It's definitely a work in progress, but I'm glad you're on, the, on your journey. <laughs> yes. Um, my next question would be, what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career in consulting? Definitely getting trained. So I see a lot of students, college students, and I was one of them, right? Like on your side hustle, helping people with applications, helping people with schools. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I would definitely suggest that you get a mentor. And I would suggest that you look at the professional associations. There's the higher educational, higher education consultants association, there's the uh, independent educational consultants association, the National Association for College Admission Counseling. I think it's so important because the stakes are so high. When I first started, I thought it was basically just about the essays, right? Oh, I'm really good at English, I can help you with the essays. And having been through this position and, and this profession for so long, I realized that I wasn't putting any stock to helping students make sure they're putting the right colleges on their list. And you really can't help students put the right colleges on their list without visiting the schools, without going to admissions info sessions and going to conferences, because otherwise you might be helping them with their essays, but they might be applying to all the wrong schools. And so I think it's really a holistic process. And I see it also with law school, um, especially, you know, there is a lot of like law school coaches. And I think it's great. I definitely think that there needs to be people at every kind of price point and every kind of part of the journey. But, um, you know, the stakes for law school are so high. The shutout rate for black applicants is about 49%. So almost one in two black applicants don't get into any law school. And that is a troubling number. Only 2% of lawyers are black women. So I really say if you're trying to get into this profession, you want to make sure that you have training so that you're not perpetuating harm and you're not um, unintentionally setting people up for an unsuccessful path. Mm -hmm. no, thank you for that. Um, my next question sort of gives you the stage. So the stage is yours. What is one common myth about your professional field that you would like to debunk? I think one common myth about independent educational consultants is that we are just here to help the rich get into better schools, right? We're here to help privileged students become more privileged. I think that especially with the Varsity Blues scandal, you know, all you hear about is, oh, only rich parents pay for a consultant. And maybe there's this myth that I am doing some backdoor secret stuff with the colleges. And it's nothing like that. Um, I give really ethical advice and it's really about reducing stress for families. I'm actually really proud of the fact that along with two other colleagues, Dr. Deborah Felix and Dr. Monica Randall, we founded College Equity First. It is a nonprofit whose mission is to increase transparency of the cultural climate on schools for black students, people of color, women. And so we just recently launched the College Equity Index that actually uses 19 factors, including the New York Times Access Index, several alumni surveys, retention rate, information from the Ed Trust, percentages of students and faculty, board-facing directors and administrators to rank these 108 colleges based on the the cultural climate that they have and what is gonna be a good school for a black student. So we gave them, we had an algorithm and we gave them uh, a letter grade based on A through F. And we wanted to use it as a way to push predominantly white institutions to really examine themselves. It's not um, to, to say, okay, you, you suck and we're never gonna send students there, but it's to say, hey, maybe my school got a D. 
And I need to really look at the schools that got to be and say, what can we do to make the campus climate more welcoming? We took, you know, qualitative data too from the Black Dot Instagrams, from news stories, from student newspapers about how administrations, uh, you know, really responded to racist incidents. So I think it's a fantastic tool for Black students um, and their parents and counselors and those that work with them. And I have other colleagues who are doing such great work in terms of increasing access and increasing financial aid opportunities. I like to also tell parents that I'm gonna help your kid get into school you can afford with hopefully some merit money. So it's not about you're spending all this extra money to, to me so that your kid can maybe get into some brand name school, but it's that there are 4,000 colleges in the country and I'm going to help you, um, you know, save money. I tell that to my law school students all the time. 70% of my practice is law school consulting, right? 56% of my students get at least a half tuition scholarship to law school. So you invest and working with me, right? You, I will work with you either one-on-one -on -one or in a small group boot camp. I've got online courses and downloadable um, e-guides, but you work with me and you will save potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? I have students all the time that get full ride scholarship offers. And that's important to me that you're not creating more debt because then you're not creating that generational wealth that I want you to. So I would love to see the profession kind of have a different, um, connotation, right? It's not just for the wealthy, it's not just the luxury item, but it's really an important part of the process that these are big decisions. These are huge financial investments. Law school is like $200,000, right? You want guidance on the process. You don't wanna just wing it. Um, and you want to be able to get as much financial aid and scholarship as you can. That's wonderful, honestly. And I'm so glad that you're doing the work you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what um, have you read or listened to recently that has recently inspired you? So I am reading uh, How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. I love it. It's really good. It's really challenging. I'm actually, I'm looking to hopefully get my graduate certificate in anti-racist education from the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. I'm a lifelong learner. Nice. Um, but I think the way that he breaks down the fact that we are all at one point racist and anti-racist in our policies. You can be racist in one thought and anti-racist in another thought. It's not a label that's just described to you, but it's a state of mind towards a particular incident. I think that it's, it's really shaped how even I as a black woman can look at that. I sit on the board of the uh, Institute for Anti-Racist Education. And so we work with educators and uh, school systems to create decolonizing uh, pedagogy and anti-racist curriculum. So it's good for even myself to examine the ways in which there are some thoughts that I have that are not quite in alignment with my anti-racist um, beliefs and ideals. And how can I bring those into alignment? How can I critically self-examine myself? It's It's been really fantastic. Great, I'll definitely make sure to pick that up. Sounds like a very interesting book. I read it on audiobook because I I am so busy, but I, I love it. I love audiobooks. Um, mm. but it's just he reads it himself and oh, wow. it's just a really fantastic, uh, fantastic book. That's good to hear. Um, so who are three people who have been the most influential to you in your life? Oh, I think that's a hard question. Um I think I would first and foremost say my sister. My sister is 16 and 
she is like my world. I would do anything for her. And I um, try actively to be such a large part of her life. I think that she's also helped me think about schooling and about students and about paths and um, introspective work at teenagers, you know, just in a different way, in a different light. She keeps me grounded. She keeps me remembering what's important in life. Of course, my parents, um, they work hard. Both my parents have two jobs and they've never um, not instilled the value of hard work and also the value of faith. Uh, so they have really modeled what it's like to sacrifice for family and also to continue to better yourself and improve yourself and, and never let no be a no, right? There's always a yes somewhere. You can always kind of finagle it and make a way. And so that's always been for me, like I started consulting full time when I was 26. I had no savings. I still financially support my sister and I, you know, could have said, okay, no, I can't do this. I need to get another job. But my parents have shown me what hustle and grit look like. And so I had it instilled in me, okay, I can do this and I can trust in God and he's not gonna let me fail. So then I would say the third person would probably be my grandmother. Um, she loves, first off, she loves the color teal with my company. It's the brand, the branding of my company, I think is uh, very influenced by her. But um, she also is just a, a woman of faith, a strong believer in um, strong women. She worked so hard throughout her life. She had a lot of setbacks, um, but she never let it get her down and she never let it stop her. And I think that she has been the best example of a strong, determined woman in my life. That's great. You're surrounded by such strong people who are really instilled these amazing values. I'm very blessed. I'm very fortunate. I know. That's great. Um, and then my last question would be, in your life, is there any advice that you wish you'd given yourself? Um, it's probably advice I'm still giving myself and it's to, um, to be okay with not having everything be perfect and to be okay with not having a plan. I'm very much a planner. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I was so blessed to be able to speak at my high school's commencement speech a couple of, uh, couple of years ago at Clarksburg High School. And um, it really hit me that like I had all of these plans, like from age eight, I was gonna be a lawyer, right? And, and I did that. I literally went straight through to law school and I was a family lawyer. But if I had kept those blinders on too much and not allowed opportunities to come, I never would be where I am right now. I could never have imagined this, not in my wildest dreams. I am so blessed and so fortunate, but it has really taught me that like you can plan and you can plan and you can plan, but like you need to have room for other things and it's okay if things aren't perfect. Uh, they don't have to be perfect right away. Um, that's something I'm still working on, but uh, that's kind of the advice I would give to myself to just kind of be okay with the unknown. Yes, especially uh, in the context of the pandemic, no one would have seen this coming. So you right. just gotta... <laughs> be adaptable I guess yes being adaptable is so important listening to your gut is also really important because you can get a lot of advice from a lot of different people um definitely one of those people that like likes to ask for advice from a lot of people but sometimes I am really learning that I can take advice but then I need to say okay well what do I want to do and maybe it looks like none of the advice and maybe it's a combination but just trying to um 
listen to myself a little more. Yeah, wonderful to hear. Well, thank you so much, Sydney, for speaking with me today. It was absolutely wonderful to hear about your life experiences and, you know, have some really great advice from somebody who's so experienced in the industry. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was so great being here. I really love that you're highlighting and uh, spotlighting women who are doing phenomenal things. I think that's amazing. And I'm just really glad that you guys reached out. I'm glad to have been here to share. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Take care.